0: We want to cancel people and label people as, you know, either you're, a, you're a this, you're a social justice warrior, or you're a liberal, or you're a racist, or you're a Trumper. Uh, instead of that, man, how about we, if a person says something that is out of pocket, how about we lovingly, graciously, you know, point them uh, in the right direction instead of, you know, labeling them and, quote, canceling them?
1: Today on the podcast, we welcome my friend, Tyler St. Clair. Tyler is a pastor in Detroit, Michigan, and is part of a church that is connected to the X29 network. Today, we have a really engaging conversation that deals with a lot of the issues that have been swirling around in our culture related to racial justice, and he tells us a lot of his story, and there's an opportunity here as the Vine family to learn a lot from him about where he's been his experience, and to attempt to walk in his shoes. My hope is this will just stir us up for deeper levels of compassion and that we'd have ears to hear, ears of humility to seek to understand. And so I hope this conversation really blesses us and it really blessed me personally. So I hope you enjoy listening in. These have been some um, challenging days recently. How are you doing emotionally?
0: Um... I was thinking. So today, um, today we're we recording this on Juneteenth. It is the day that one hundred percent of you know the slaves and in, uh, in America were set free. Uh, I believe it was Galveston, Texas, that there was uh, still a group of slaves that were enslaved uh, two and a half years after the Civil War ended. Right. And, uh, Juneteenth is the day um, uh, that that many black people have adopted as the true independence day. So just thinking about kind of reflecting on Juneteenth today and just the, um, all the events that have happened in the last several weeks, it's kind of like a mix of, um, a mix of continuing, continual, uh, lamenting, but also some, uh, encouragement. So it's just kind of like this, and I, I call it the, the 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 black paradox. You know, yeah, it's yeah. you know it's, it's it's a constant state of um, lament, constant state of uh, pain of where we're at, and you know just the experiences being a person of color, but also the the hope of seeing things uh, somewhat moving in the right direction, seeing people um, uh, kind of open their eyes and having their eyes open to new reality the realities that are new to them uh, so yeah it's just this, this 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 mix of uh encouraged but also uh, still lamenting you know as well so
1: yeah that's i heard you use the word continual twice and man as i've been reflecting on the recent days i've noticed that there's been a um emotionally there's been um it's been uniquely heavy for me but i recognize that my experience based on where i was raised and who i am is different from other folks and i wouldn't use the word continual because that hasn't been my experience but you use the word continual um can you help people like like me understand why you would use the word continual?
0: Yeah, there is a, um, I'm going to try to describe it the best way I can. There is just a daily, uh, sometimes it's kind of latent, but it's a daily anxiety, stress uh, weight of being a person of color in, in America. Um I'm not I'm I'm not gonna I'm not here to slam America, I'm not here to, to bash America because it, if I had to choose any other country, it would probably be America. Mm-hmm. One that's all the gun driver lift in. Yeah. But um but as a person of color, um that makes up um uh, black people make up roughly twelve to thirteen percent of the population. Black men roughly make up six to seven percent of the population. But then when you look at um how we are disproportionately um arrested, incarcerated, just the disproportionate um uh, amount of uh racism and injustice uh men of color still face, and just that the daily reality of that and how it affects your everyday life. Um, there is a um there's never a moment that I forget that I am a black man living in America. Um it affects it affects how I think, it affects um, how I drive, where I drive, where, which stores I go into, uh, it, it, it is a constant reality because those, um, the weight of that is with me. And when you see people who were, um, you know, we, we look at George Floyd and that's the first example. I mean, well, that's, that's not the first example, but that's the one that, that, that many are pointing to. Uh, I think it was two years ago, um, uh. A man, Eric Gardner, was 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 choked by a police officer, and he used the exact same words: "I can't right. breathe, right. I can't breathe." And he was allegedly selling loose cigarettes. You know, right. a couple of years ago, Flando Castillo uh, was driving with his significant other, and he was killed by a police officer after the police officer asked him for the registration for his gun. He uh, re- reached for the re- registration for his gun. Right. And he was shot and killed. So you that was on at, that was on video too. Yeah, it was recorded on video. Yeah. You know, Ahmad Arbery jogging in his neighborhood. You you look at um, these people who are doing everyday things, um, living life, and having, you know, Tamir Rice. I, I had to explain to my son why he couldn't play with a toy gun, and why I didn't think it was a good idea for him to play with a toy gun, and I told him the, what happened to Tamir Rice. It was around the same. Time And I looked at my son who eerily looked like Tamir Rice It looked like yeah. Trayvon Martin, yep. um, a young man who was walking home from the store, Tamir Rice playing with a toy gun, um, shot by snipers um, in the park. Um, so the reality of these things um, and, and the way these people were lost their lives is, is something that is always on the forefront of my mind. I mean, it it, it affects how I parent. It affects conversations I have with my children. It affects uh, how I parent my son. There's, I was having a, a conversation with a with a a brother who just, um, you know, it's all lives matter, all police, all this, all that, everything's everything's the same. We had a black person, blah 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 blah. All the all the. all of the uh the company along so to speak. Sure. So I'm having a conversation with him and I just I just came to the re, I just came to the the, the conclusion the conver- to end the conversation because it was going nowhere. I said what you don't realize is the America that your son is going to experience as a white man who lives in the suburbs is completely different from the reality my son will face. Right. Um and I have to prepare my son for this reality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my son is is 13 years old and he's already uh, being watched and profiled in stores you know it right. starts early right uh, it doesn't just happen when when black men get to age of 23 24 years old it starts early so yeah, it's a continual it's, it's a wait that's the best way i can describe it
1: yeah and so man there's so much i want to unpack with you um Tyler and I'm so thankful that you give us your time um, I should have said that right off the bat but I'm so thankful for you giving us your time and I'm so thankful for you being willing to have this conversation um, amidst the emotions and amidst the I, this is what I wanted to ask you um, I would imagine there is a fatiguing nature to that continual awareness of what you just articulated and I, I come at it from a different angle I um, the podcast that we just released before this one, um, we interviewed someone who was a a missionary, a church planting missionary to Morocco. And she talked about the fatigue of culture shock, where she is a white person, she is a white person uh, in a sea of Islam. And so she uh, just realized, I asked her to describe culture shock and she said it's it's it comes up a lot as fatigue, where you're just constantly aware of this reality that I don't I'm not the same here, and it just makes you so tired. Um, do, do you think that's a do you think that's um there's a type of culture shock for African Americans? Like is there is there is that a helpful analogy where there's a fatigue that you just kind of carry?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say shock because um it's it's reality that we are that we live with that that you that you see right off the gate. Right. Um but it's it, it's definitely it's de- it's definitely a fatigue. Um me personally, I, I I find myself drifting from um fatigue to just becoming numb to it. Um yeah. it, it's when when um I I found out about uh about Ahma, I'm sitting in my car. I've been trying to um walk and run to lose a little weight and try not to put on a whole bunch of weight during the uh, quarantine sure. so i started uh, exercising so i'm sitting in my car and, and as i'm about to go out and jog i turn on the radio and i hear about a man jogging in his neighborhood was killed by two vigilantes um so I, it, it immediately was um it was an element of like oh my goodness what happened and then um a numbness kind of sits in like, you know, this is, you, you feel helpless. You feel like I, there's, you feel helpless, you feel unsafe. Um, and then you feel like, you know, there's another one kind of situation. So I, I kind of find myself wrestling with just feeling numb about it. Um, just feeling like, you know, then the young lady, Brianna Taylor, who's killed in her home. And I, I believe, um, Louisville, Kentucky police just come in. Um, and, and and kill her and significant other wrong house situation and then george floyd's like i've been just wrestling with just feeling um exhausted and and just numb to it yeah um, because it's th- these three these three are um becoming a long list of names that have trended hashtags people we've marked about people we've been concerned about and I'm 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 thankful and I'm grateful that there are more and more people um from the majority who are saying, you know what, you know, this is this is this is wrong. Um and I can't help but to think the fact that we were in the middle of a uh worldwide pandemic, life slowed down, people were more, uh less hurried and moving all over the place, that when these three situations happen back to back, um, you know, it just many people uh, just kind of just their eyes are open to it. Yeah. um but yeah it it, it is it, it's 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 numbing at times it's numbing
1: yep. yep so man we 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 just dove into the deep end of the pool here and so man i just appreciate you being willing to do that with us um because you know we don't really know each other and these are some of the most um these are some of the most uh painful emotionally draining uh parts of your life so i just appreciate your transparency honesty um but let's back up a little bit. I'd love to just hear about your your background, your childhood. Where'd you grow up? Um, formative years. Tell us about that, Tyler.
0: So, um, yeah, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, northwest side. I grew up. Um, I'm. I turned thirty nine this year. Yeah, I turned thirty nine this year, um, and I grew up. In Detroit, when it was, you know, height of crack era, Detroit, um, crazy insanity in the eighties and nineties. That's why when I hear people talk about crime and and things now, I'm just kind of like walk outside, like this 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 is nothing (laughs) compared to what I saw as a a child. You know, I mean, I have have families, a family members strung out on drugs, close relatives, you know, strung out on drugs, like when um, during the uh, late eighties and nineties, the crack era, when was at the boom. So I grew up in that, born and raised in the city. Um, my story is very similar to a lot of young men, single parent. Um, my mother and father um, relationship did not did not work because my father uh, just had um, many, many life challenges. So I was raised primarily by a single mother with, health, uh, with a lot of help from grandparents, uh, stronger family structure. So, yeah, grew up in the church. Um, but I just, it never, I, I say I was raised in the church, but the church wasn't in me. You know, my grandmother was a strong, It still is a strong, strong believer, loves Jesus, praying woman, godly woman, uh, strong woman. Um, so she took us to church. And the older I got, I just got more and more disenfranchised, disenchanted with church. I didn't see the purpose. Um, I, I, As a young black man wrestling with many issues, I would walk in and I would see this picture of this blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. And I grew just very resentful to that. And I would just tell myself, once I turned 18, I'm so done with this. Uh, it, it did nothing for me. I, 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 didn't see, I didn't see life change. I didn't see how it impacted people's lives. Um, I didn't see strong masculinity in the church. Uh, my church was full of older men, um, men who, whose lives I did not want to replicate, um, effeminate men, um, to be honest. So as a young black man, a young, young black boy, I, I saw, saw that and I saw this very sterile, soft portrayal of Jesus. And I said, yeah, this is, I want want none of this. Um, By by God's grace, God saved me from becoming a a Muslim. I was very interested in the nation of Islam just because I saw the strength. I saw masculinity in the nation of Islam that I did not see in my church. So I, I was interested in the nation of Islam, but then I found out I found out that they couldn't, um, eat. I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to eat pork anymore. So I said, well, I'm not giving up bacon for, um, not giving up bacon for Muhammad. So I just won't do any of this God stuff. Yeah. So at the, age of, at the age of, uh, 18, I went and got a tattoo. I went and got high and, um, uh, smoked as much weed as I could. And at, at the age of on my 18th birthday, I said, I'm done with God. I'm done with church and just kind of drifted and, um, went away to college and then my first year of college, I just experienced, um, I was about an hour and a half away from home, I experienced just um, prejudice, racism um, that I never experienced that blatantly. Um, I thought this stuff was in the South and I was experiencing it in, uh, in upper Michigan, middle of Michigan. And just my own, I was becoming more and more aware of my own uh, sin and brokenness the first person who I um, heard the gospel from was a friend of mine. He was a dude who I kind of ran the streets with. And then we both went away to school first year and he came home. I said, you know, yeah, yeah, I got saved. And that was the first time I even heard that language. I I said, saved from what? And he said, yeah, I became a Christian and I gave my life to Jesus. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. You just, you started going to church, you know, then no. And then he, So he clearly shared the gospel with me, and what was interesting was he was the first person I ever saw um, true transformation in. So it wasn't just um, you know I'm you know I'm I believe this thing now, but it was it was true life altering uh, transformation, and it wasn't he didn't become like this weird legalistic you know type person but he still was around. He still came around me. He still was a friend of mine, but his life just looked completely different. Wow. And that, it just was just, it was, it was, it was, I never said anything like that. So he invited me to a a little men's Bible study at his church. Um, And I, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I'm thinking like, okay, it's going to be like my church, just, you know, bunch of dudes in there, older dudes, you know, Talking boring <laughs> religious stuff, yeah. I walked in, uh, and, I'm, and I'm 19 years old here, so yeah, I had very small reference point. And, and all I knew about church was my church, yeah. And it was, it just was very unhealthy, very, you know, uh, very unhealthy church situation. So I walk into his church, and it's dudes our age 18, 19, 20, mid 20s, 30s who were serious about God, serious about scripture, uh, dudes who were serious about, you know, not uh, being sexually active so they got married. That was just a whole different thing that blew my mind. I never even knew that was a thing. Um, (laughs) dudes Uh, who were faithful to one woman. It just, it was, I never, I never seen, I never met men um, who talked like this or lived this way. I was like, this is, this was completely different for me. And then um, the pastor, Pastor Reggie Lane, I never forget this, he got up and he spoke the gospel just clear, clear as day, pure gospel, not over my head, um, not you get to God by doing these four things, you know, not, you know, word, faith, stuff that you, you do this and God will bless your life. Yep. He preached the gospel. And, I, you know, I wept, I wept like a baby. And um, I I knew from that moment on that I wanted to you know surrender my life to this Christ. I'm am an extremely black and white person, um, so you know it wasn't it wasn't with me personally. It wasn't like this wrestling will I won't I. Uh, I heard the gospel and that was it. That was all I needed. Um, so at the age of 19, I I, com- I committed my life to Christ, and that was September uh, September 2011. Uh it was right around two thousand it was right around nine eleven, which is really weird. Um and then two months later I, I told my my then pastor that I felt called to, to ministry, nineteen years old. And my pastor thought this was just the most absurd thing in the world because this this um didn't even believe I was a Christian.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was like, Well, yeah. we don't even know if we don't even know if you're there yet. You know, right. So, right. The pastor then gave me a prescribed me. Uh, then prescribed me just a uh, laundry list of do's and don'ts and, you know, what ministry look like. And, you know, you got to go to seminary, you got to do this and got to do that. And then gave me a um, eight year plan to become a minister of the gospel. And I said, well, I have friends who are dying now. I have friends who are, you know, on drugs. Now I have friends who are struggling now. Why do I need to go away to college? You know, and become a personal minister to help people now. So I just yeah. I just could not reconcile that thought. So um, I just I knew at the age of nineteen that I um, I knew at the age of nineteen that I wanted to start a church to reach people who were like me, people who who had given up on the church and people that the church had given up on. You know, I knew that at nineteen. Um, and uh, just, yeah, God took me behind, took me on the long way like the children of Israel because I had a lot of disobedience in me. So um, <laughs> I, I, that 40, that 40 day journey took uh, many, many years. Uh, but by God's grace, um, in 2016, you know, my wife, uh, my wife and I dreamed that we had for many years uh, planning Cornerstone Church Detroit um, came to fruition.
1: Amazing man, that's a that's an amazing story. So from two thousand one to today, you've been on this journey, huh? Yeah. So you're Detroit, like your whole life, born and raised.
0: Yeah, born and raised. Like, well, yeah. Uh, spent a couple years in my adult adult age. Um, we moved to this. I, I, I I've experienced just a lot of a lot of pain, a lot of life pain, a lot of a lot of loss. Loved ones, losing loved ones.
1: There's a lot of loss in
0: ministry in Detroit. So a few years, uh, oh man, how long ago was that? Uh, oh, about 10 years ago, you know, my wife and I just said, you know, we, I'm done. I, I'm tapping out on Detroit. <laughs> it, 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 it was just too painful, too much okay, loss. Okay. Too many, you know, lost family members, lost loved ones. Uh, so we, we decided to, um, we Decided on the suburban dream, um, and we lived in the suburbs for a couple of years. But uh, after a few years, we just knew that uh, the Lord was calling us back to move to the city, um, to be to not only be ministers of the gospel, not only declare to declare the gospel, but to live among the people to to incarnate our lives in our neighborhood and be a gospel witness. Um, uh, because it's, it's rare for um, a pastor to, um, be in the city, live in the city. Most of them kind of come in and out, right? Um, because they don't want, they don't want the, they don't want those problems, you know. So,
1: so you're you're pastoring a church right now that's in the city of Detroit. It's an inner city church.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cornerstone Church, Detroit. We we meet on the n- northwest side of Detroit. I would say um, seventy five. Percent of our members, seventy-five percent of people who call Detroit, uh, call Cornerstone home, uh, live within the city limits. I would say half live within about three miles of where we meet, and we have a handful of people who come from the suburbs.
1: What What are your uh, demographics of your church? If you were to guess percentages,
0: Uh, so we're uh, ethnically we we have a we're all over the place. I would say we're about fifty five I would say about fifty-five percent um African American, forty to forty-five percent, uh white. Uh, and then but we also have a handful of people from uh of African descent. Um so yeah, we're kinda all over the place. We're all over the place class wise as well, uh, which yep. is both are really unique for our for our for our, for our um, our context because detroit is extremely divided racially and along class lines so Mm -hmm. that was intentional we wanted to plant a church we wanted to plant a church that looked like heaven but we also wanted to plant a church that looked like um what the city is becoming our city is becoming more and more more and more diverse so a lot of the people that uh, a lot of the white people that call cornerstone home are people who moved just recently moved to the city and want to be a part of a church in the city, um, so we have some old Detroit, old Detroiters, and we ha- also have some new Detroit as well, and just kind of all over the place class-wise.
1: Yeah, so you guys are, are doing something that is very unique uh, in terms of a church culture in America today. Like you don't hear about many churches like your church.
0: Yeah, it's it's very unique. Uh, most churches. Uh, so to, for a church to be considered quote diverse, it has to be um, I believe over twenty percent uh, other. So it has to be no more than no more than like eighty percent of one culture or one uh, racial um, background. So yeah, we 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 our church is our church is extremely unique in, in many ways, uh, and, and it was intentional. We want to be we want to be diverse, not for diversity's sake, but our uh, our church to be apologetic for the gospel. An apologetic for the church, because just the uh, racial history in America, um, church-wise, has been so poor, and it is a um, honestly, it's a bad reflection on Christ. It's a bad reflection on what He intended His church to be, and it is a reason why a lot of people have uh, just kind of washed their hands of church. It was the reason I washed my hands of, of the church at eleven years, uh, at thirteen years old. Yeah. Um I, I what I saw was not um appealing to me. What I saw was not something that uh was spiritually vibrant and was not something that uh was beneficial to my life. And I and it was very I look up and I see um this image of this white Jesus and I see people worshiping, black and brown people worshiping this. Jesus and I had no framework for why this was why why did why did these black and brown people who have experienced you know things that were detrimental by white people why are they worshiping this this image Um, praise God I realized that Jesus wasn't a a European man right (laughs) right but but that was that was that was a you know that was a stumbling block to me and Mm it's a stumbling block to a lot of black and brown people so we, our desire was is for, for our church to reflect, um, reflect God's uh, diversity that He that He created, and to reflect a little bit of what the kingdom of uh, heaven is going to look like. You yeah. know, re- uh, Revelation seven nine. You know, John when John got that um, movie trailer of eternity, he says, "Man, I, saw, I I saw people of every nation, every tongue." You know worshipping in white robes with one voice. salvation belongs to the Lamb. Yeah. So you know we were we were driven by that that beautiful picture of what eternities look like. We wanted um our church to look like that now, and we want we wanted um we want people to have a an experience where their lives are integrated. you know m- most many people's lives are still are still segregated. It's like it's the 60s. Right. you know they right. work with uh they work with diversity they um go to school in diverse settings but their worship uh their worship and church family life is still very uh monochromatic
1: right so i would imagine that that has produced uh some challenges it probably hasn't always been easy going you-
0: yeah it it has produced some ch- it, yeah it's produced some challenges um but the Lord has been really kind, really kind to us um the people who are a part of our church i mean and, and and you have to take that approach, especially if you're coming from the majority context you're coming you you're you're basically in some ways you know surrendering rights <laughs> you're coming into the city, moving into the city, and yep. you're now submitting to uh black leadership yeah, so there is some um, there, there is some uh, surrendering of surrendering that people willingly do. So it, it hasn't been that uh, difficult in, in that aspect. You know, it's just um, the main thing that we try to do is we try to have just very open, vulnerable, transparent uh, family dialogue yes. on the lines of race, class, yep, um, matter of justice. You know, we, defi- we define redefine and over-define and over-define and just repeat ourselves um, just so we can kind of, you know, get on the same page uh, on what justice looks like. You know, because yeah. somebody say, well, you know, we shouldn't be involved in, quote, social justice. You know and I'm saying? When we, so we'll say something along the lines of, I'll say something along the lines of, well, I, I, you're right. We don't believe in, quote, social justice in that, as- in, in that light. But we believe justice is extremely biblical, and here's what biblical justice looks like. So, just mm-hmm. defining defining terms. Yep. Um, providing those resources so people can um, get a get a better understanding uh, of what it looks like to to live and to do um, with a diverse church family.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like one of the keys has just been really open communication. Like if there's tension along racial lines or class lines like you, you you've created a culture where it's safe to share how you're feeling I would imagine
0: as a person and as a person in the minority as a minority I understand what it's like to feel like you're not heard mm-hmm. I know what it's like to feel like uh, you're speaking to a wall I know what it's like to feel like I have to um couch my words in a certain way that it is acceptable to others. So when people come to our church and, 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 and we have these discussions, you know, I speak frankly and I um, encourage others to speak frankly and, and say and encourage people to admit what you don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I've said things that were uh, I said things that were uh, hurtful, offensive, not out of malice, but just out of ignorance. Like I did not know. Right. I remember once I was talking to uh, I was talking to a Korean brother, and um, and I was meeting his family, and I got North and South Korea confused. I was yeah. like, "Oh wow, wow!" Well, open mouth, uh, open, open their foot, you know. So yeah. you know, he explained to me, and I said, "You know," and I just said, "Bro, I, I had no idea. I, that was a complete. Uh, I dropped the ball. I didn't know. But now that I know, you know, in the words of GI Joe, knowing is half the battle. Yeah. So allow people to allow people to uh, allow. I call it the grace of ignorance, you know, mm-hmm. allow people to grace to not know, to say the wrong things, to use the wrong craze uh, and not bite their head off. Not, you know, drop the Thor hammer on them if they don't use the right phrase or say the you know right term or things of that nature. Um, because what happens when you do that, people kind of retreat and say, well, that's the last time I share.
1: Right. And I, and honestly, Tyler, that's, I'm really thankful you brought that up because it seems like the Christian church should be uniquely equipped to be able to do what you just described. I know for me, speaking as a, as a white guy from, you know, middle-class culture, my whole life, small town-ish Iowa, um, like I I really have uh, a desire to understand some of these issues that are flying around in our culture right now in a very prominent way. I have a daughter who's black through adoption. Um, so that's another motivating factor to really seek to understand. But at times, um, there's a sense of uh, maybe being paralyzed would be the right term um, because it's like, I just, there's a lot of fear that can be paralyzing because if I don't say the right thing in our current culture, in a culture of outrage that you see on Twitter or Facebook. It's like, man, if I don't say the right thing, I'm gonna get strung up or something. Yeah. And like, um, but man, I just so appreciate you articulating a different kind of culture. And I feel like our churches should be a place where, yeah, if I don't say the right thing, there's grace for me. And if and if you come alongside and correct me, I don't have to be defensive. Like, let me give you an example. I just until recently, I didn't know that if I referred to you, Tyler, as articulate. That could be interpreted as, um, like, uh, what's the word? Like, that could be interpreted as, like, I'm looking down on, like, I'm, like, I'm surprised that a black man would be would be articulate. And I didn't know that. I was, re- I was referring to, a, I was referring to a guy that uh, was an African American guy, and I was like, man, this dude is so articulate. And then someone said, you know, you shouldn't say that about him. I was like, why? He is. <laughs> And and I did, I had no idea. I had no idea. I was like yeah, yeah. he is articulate. Um but like things like that like man, uh I didn't know that. And and so Yeah, yeah,
0: it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's I, the funny thing is uh I was somewhere and uh a person said that and I I, I ignored it like the first three or four times. But after I was like, okay, I guess you know, I guess I should say something. Um, and I, it was just a one-on-one conversation, you know. And I, and I, and I, and I I'm also trying to, I'm also careful not to, um, uh, as much as possible, correct people in front of other people, sure. because you know, people get they're just more defensive, you know, it, when they're corrected around other people. Amen. That's um, right. In most cases. So I said, I, I said, so I said, what do you mean by that? Well they began to explain more, and I said. I said, so you're surprised by that? You're surprised that I'm articulate, and then, and they say, well, uh, and then I, you can see the gears turning. Like, I, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to offend you. I said, honestly, right. it doesn't offend. It doesn't offend me personally because it takes a lot to offend me. But if you say that to the wrong person of color, it can be viewed as extremely, extremely um, offensive. Right. So yeah, you know, we and we actually had a really good dialogue after that. Yep. But yeah, it's yeah the the grace of ignorance like i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna if you say something that and i i know your heart i know you're i know you're a brother you know i i honestly call me call me crazy but i think we all have prejudice i think we all have you know prejudice it could be based on race it could be based on gender class we all have prejudice um it just it looks different in all of our lives but um so if a person is, you know, I know they love Christ and we're having a conversation. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drop a hammer and just call you a racist and David Duke because you say something that you you use the antiquated phrase or you use the wrong <laughs> terminology. Right. You know, I'm gonna point you to a uh like um like what was it, Priscilla and Aquila. They showed right. Apollos a more bad way. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna pull you aside and show you a, a a more better way, uh, a better way to, you know, use the right phrase or, or interact with people. But yeah, it's and, and you know, we want to we want to cancel people and label people as you know either you're a, you're this, you're a social justice warrior or you're a liberal or you're a racist or you're a trumper. Um, instead of that, man, how about we if a person says something that is out of pocket, how about we lovingly, graciously, you know, point them. Uh, in the right direction, instead of you know labeling them and quote canceling them.
1: Amen. And 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 man, shouldn't the church be equipped with that kind of capacity to pull that off? Right.
0: We should be able to.
1: Yeah, that's that's so helpful. And it feels like what you're saying is is just like man, we have to have healthy relationships with people. Because if I know you love, if I know you love me, because we have a relationship, and then you come alongside and say, hey man, just so you know, that word articulate is loaded. For a lot of people and i know you didn't mean it as as pejorative or whatever but but just so you know then and it's like oh i know tyler loves me and he's not looking down on me and he's not finding joy in correcting me or whatever it's like man i can receive that because of relationship yeah
0: yeah yeah exactly man yeah it's not it's not it's not out of a place of malice or i'm taking joy and telling you you're wrong it's of a place of you know, let's let's grow together and let's um, let's find ways that we can be united instead of labeling and being divisive.
1: So, man, let me ask you this: I know a lot of people in my church are are feeling like like man, just what I said. Relationships are really important, but we live in a city of Madison that's maybe uh, I know it's not as diverse as Detroit, um, and it's like man, I would love to have more diversity in relationships, but it's not as simple as just like. Well, I'm gonna go find me a black black friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's it's, and that's that sounds um, really demeaning. Honestly, like you can go to Walmart and pick out a black friend or something. Um, that's not the way relation. That's not the way relationships work. And so um, most people know that. Um, but let me ask you: this, Have you ever felt that, like from from white people, like like they're trying to make me into their token? Black friend Is that something that Like black people talk about As like Man these white people Are coming up on me And it's like Or is You know what I mean Is that Is that Is that a reality That you've ever experienced
0: Not me personally Um I I have no problems (laughs) I have no problem Expressing Uh How I feel If something makes me uncomfortable If something makes me Uh if it's something I don't want to pursue, I, I have zero problem saying this doesn't work for me. This is not a good idea. I'm I'm straight, no bueno. I don't have that problem, so I I don't I don't feel I don't feel pressure to um, be in, be engaged in every relationship, to be engaged in every conversation. I don't feel I don't feel pressure to do that. If it's something that I don't, if it's something that I don't feel comfortable with, if I if it's something that I feel I feel like I'm being used or I feel like someone has an agenda towards me. Uh black white green or uh, polka dots, you know, I'll right. let them know how I feel and right. take it from there. But that, that that is a that is a um that is a pressure because again, you know, especially now that, you know, the the pendulum swings in one direction, you know, more and more uh more and more people in the majority are um Interested and energized by diversity, wanting to be in diverse settings, wanting to uh, have more diverse friend, friend uh, friendships and whatnot. So, you know, you just do the math again. Black people are 12 to 13 percent of the population. So, right. <laughs> you know, I, it, it's it can become somewhat uh, daunting and, and people feel like, you know, I have to do this because I want to be nice. I want to be kind to this coworker. But it's again. It's also exhausting to. Uh, it's also exhausting as a black person to constantly um, explain and over-explain and um, have the same conversations with people that may or may not be attentively attentively listening and may or may not have pure motives. Right. So, um, what what I would suggest is to, uh, to to my white brothers and sisters, it's not necessarily that simple as. You know going and finding a black friend how about you just do a start with um expanding your history and your understanding on how we got here i was reading an article um i can't remember i I can't remember who it was but they were it was an article basically how um in school it was a a teacher as a professor and they was explaining how in school they never heard about the tulsa massacre 1921 and they never heard about june tinks right and just how this lack of lack of true uh history being poured out how, how that how that is has affected people in the majority because they they grow up thinking that life was the same for black and brown people that right. there are no there are no extra hurdles for black and brown people right. and that's far from that's far from True. They, so you're saying they, they, like you know, after slavery was over with, you know, after after slavery was over with, all right, good, we're all done. You know, you know, move on. Yeah. But that, that's not the case.
1: So you're saying start with education.
0: Yeah. Start, you know, and, and if and if and if you have a person of color in your uh relationship network or you know them, you know, don't view them as a project, view them as a person. Amen. You know, view them as a person with uh thoughts, opinions, emotions,
1: and you know and, and
0: unique, right unique as well. Exactly.
1: Like you don't speak for all black people. I don't speak for all white people. You know? I don't And speak. neither
0: neither does neither does Candace Owen or Voli Bacum. I just want to put that out right. there
1: too. That's right. Yeah. So it's like I don't speak for all evangelicals. I have some unbelieving friends ask me about, you know, evangelicals and I, the first thing I said was, Well that's there's millions of people there. I don't speak for all of them. And, um, we might have some things in common that I'm aware of, but in the same way, I would imagine it's kind of exhausting for you to like, you know, I mean, sometimes you, I would imagine you correct me that you feel like you're put in the place where you have to speak for all black people. And that's gotta be weird, right?
0: It, it, it is. Um, but I'll, I'll be quick to, I'll be quick to say, you know, I'm not the president of black reformed pastors. Yep. Um, yeah. It's not a lot of us. <laughs> I will I will agree that the number I will agree that the number is, is growing, but it's still a small number. Yeah. But you know, I don't speak on behalf of all black people. And yes, yeah, so I mean I just I, I try to point people to resources, point people to history, point yeah. people to um what has been, you know, hidden in plain sight for several years. Like this, you know, this again, Juneteenth. Yep. You know, um the president was on his way to speak, you know, and this is not this is not about politics, it's not bashing the president. Um, he was on his way to speak to in Tulsa, the the where this massacre happened, um, on June tenth. Juneteenth. And it was just this massive uh outroar of people of color saying, No, 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 no. You can't do that. Right. You can't do that. You know, right. and, and rightfully so. And because of that, more and more people found out about Juneteenth, like, wait, so there were, <laughs> there were slaves still, even after the civil war ended, but 200 and, I mean, I mean, for, um, two and a half years. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, informing yourself and, you know, reading, reading and, you know, getting a better grasp of history is super beneficial, yep. um, you know not just going to that's that's easy i'm gonna go you know talk to this one person you know and now now i got that that one black friend that people like to point to that that's right. easy but you know how about you take some time to inform yourself and find out how, how the heck did we get here
1: yeah my experience tyler has been both like i've i've um exposed myself to some books and some documentaries um at like a kind of like a in a way that's not very personal. And then I've also had the chance to listen to stories through the course of diverse relationships that have awakened me to the fact that my experience... So it's like I get educated through relationships and I get educated from just normal educational resources of books and and films and stuff like that. And and it's been really, really helpful. Um, So along those lines, let me ask you this, Tyler, uh, because I think this is one of the things that so helped me wake up to the fact that there are diversity of experiences in our culture um when was the first time that you became aware that you were um that your the color of your skin actually mattered you know what i mean like was there a moment when you were younger as a boy
0: yeah um i can send you the article because nobody believes me when i tell them that this happened but in uh, 1992 um I went to a school, Malcolm X Academy. So the people who started Malcolm X Academy thought it was a good idea to um, create a school based on one of the most polarizing and divisive fi- figures in American history and put it in a neighborhood that was white.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but uh, they put Malcolm X Academy on a in a white neighborhood that was still in the city, but it was a white neighborhood. So um, this was in 92. I remember getting off the bus. We had to have a police escort. Our parents had to ride the bus with us. Wow. Uh, There were bomb threats. And people were out there protesting. um, This school being uh, open because it was Malcolm X Academy and it was in a white neighborhood. And it was like Ruby Bridges. I remember getting off the bus with my mom. The police walked us in. Um, There were helicopters. There were protests. They were yelling the N-word. Uh, we have bomb threats regularly.
1: How old were you at this time? Uh, time? I was 11. 11. 11, okay. 11. So was that the first time you you knew like, oh, wow, this is like waking yeah. up?
0: This is different. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah. I'm different. And these people, um, and this is 11-year-old, these people do not like me because I am black. They hate me because I'm black. They're against me because I'm black.
1: Would you say that before that you hadn't experienced uh, overt ra- racism that like really hurt you?
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, before I mean before then, that was my first interaction with white people.
1: Okay, before so you,
0: then, okay. I, was just a, I was just a, yeah, I was a, a dude in hood, a little kid who everybody knew in their interaction was black. Uh, so that was my introduction to people in the majority. And it was a struggle from then. <laughs> it was a struggle for many years after that. Uh, so yeah, it, it was. Yeah, I, I'll I'll send you the article. Um, okay. People do not believe me that this happened in 1992 in Metro Detroit, and I said, "No, I, I'll, I'll give you the article. That the New York Times did it. Yep. Uh, put it out there."
1: So so but yeah, it was
0: it was crazy.
1: So you before that though, your childhood was mainly uh, not very diverse. You were in a, a black environment basically up until then. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, and
0: it was just you no, know, it was like the fish in the water. I didn't realize I didn't realize I knew white people existed. So I saw them on T V and, and uh the shows I watched had white people in it. I didn't have any experience with uh, white people. And that was my very first experience and it was a it it and it it was a I remember being confused, I remember being angry, I remember being terrified, um, I remember being uh you know what? These people don't like me, and I don't like them.
1: Yep. So, as you progress through your adolescent years, were there other moments wh- that stand out to you as a memory of man? I I don't live in the same world as other people.
0: Oh yeah, man. Um, I mean, at the age of you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen, you know, you 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 get those talks and have those conversations from people that are in authority over you. Um, my mother and just uncles and people, grandfather and people who were near me. And it was a kind of reminder that you are a black man in America. You're viewed as a threat. You're viewed as guilty before a proven sin. Um, and, now, you know, my, my first experiences with the police were all poor. Um, you know, I've, I mean, even, you know, three years ago, you know, I was wrongfully... Uh, arrested and uh, not far from my neighborhood uh, police officers said I was trying to purchase marijuana. Uh, this is three years old, three years ago, Tyler passed in the church. And I have to explain to, you know, our church leadership, and I have to explain to people who are near um, <laughs> people. I have to explain to people who are uh, transitional elders and, and supporting churches and other people. Like, yeah, I got to tell you, I kind of, I got arrested. And the police officer was in weed, and there was no weed. There was no money in sight. Um, they just pinned this on me. Um, wow. So, you know, most of my most of my experiences um, with police have been poor. I'm of auto- so you no know, people can't see me, but I am a large black man. Um, I'm six three, you know, not small at all. So I'm automatically viewed as a threat. When I get pulled over, even for a routine traffic stop, it's yep. multiple cars. Yeah. Um. So th- these things, these things, I've been aware of these things for many years, and um, yeah. the re- The reality is that, and I'm now preparing my son to enter into a world that that's better. It is better, and there is progress. But I'm preparing my son to enter into a world, um, uh, with some of the same challenges that I, I faced.
1: Right. So. Man, let's climb into the emotions of that moment. Like when those guys are addressing you and accusing you of whatever, I would imagine uh, emotionally there was a lot of fear, right?
0: Oh yeah, but I I was I was so um, I mean I was so indignant that it was more anger and just just out just outrage um, that this was happening to me. Sure. I'm on my way home to my family. Um, with groceries, and um, and I'm getting pulled over, and getting pinned with something that I didn't do, and getting my car impounded, and yeah, I was just infuriated. Wow. Um, that wasn't one of the moments that I felt physically threatened, uh, but I've had other moments. You know, just just recently, not too long ago, you know, a police officer walked to the walked to my car and began to try to open my back door with his hand on his gun. You know, my heart just started beating. Like I don't know what this guy is doing. Right. You know. So.
1: And you've seen Philando get shot on video.
0: Yeah, this was just about two months ago, and I'm I'm just trying to have a conversation. I'm just, and then I look back, um, and I make eye contact with him, and this man, this, he's a young guy, couldn't couldn't have been no more than 23-24 years old, and he is about five, six, five, eight at the most. He is yeah. a he's terrified. He's absolutely terrified. Yeah. So, And I, I'm just thinking like he's scared So now I'm scared because I don't know what he's doing His hand is on his gun, he's trying to open my door But so right. no reason, I don't know what
1: he's doing Right, well I mean I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes Right now Tyler, if I'd seen a video of Philando getting shot I've seen that video, it's one of the most horrible Things I've ever seen And yeah. and then you've got a uh, A police officer With his hand on his gun As he approaches your car Like that would be traumatic
0: yeah, it, yeah, it, it is. It was, it was, man. I was, I was terrified, and I'm on my way home, thinking that I'm, you know, I'm on my way home, meet my wife and my kids there, and we get ready to, you know, go grab some dinner and go to the movie. Got a whole little family night prepared, you know, going to enjoy a uh, time with a family. And I'm just, I, I pull up in the car, just, I'm just shaking, and I can't barely even get words out to explain what's wrong with me yeah um because i was terrified yeah you know, I, I saw fear in his eyes and i was it, it, it messed me up yeah you, know? you don't know um, where that leads
1: yeah yeah well, man th- this illustrates th- this is just a perfect illustration of of what i am learning uh as i've grown older about different experiences for different people with different skin colors in our culture because here's the reality I've got a 17-year-old son and I've never once thought to sit him down and coach him up about how to relate to police officers never once and and you're saying that that was multiple times from influences in your life as you're growing up and that's just like normal that's just normal right
0: yeah it's it's called the talk Right. You know,
1: and have you had that talk with your kids?
0: Yeah. Um, Because, you know, in many ways, as a as a as a parent to a a black son, you know, it would be irresponsible for me not to. Yeah, it would be irresponsible for me not to, you know, explain,
1: you know, and they've been in the
0: car while I got pulled over. And I would would say, watch, watch how I do. You know, yes, sir. No, sir. Roll all the windows down on my wallet and my wallet's already on the dashboard so i don't have to suddenly reach for anything um so yeah it's a it's 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 a it's a rite of passage in many ways um for uh for 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 black men you know and i would be irresponsible if i did not if i did not explain these realities to my son because it it could be detrimental to him
1: yeah that's it's just so um, important, I think, for white people to hear things like this, just so that they can grow in compassion. And um, and, Tyler, do you have any friends or do you have acquaintances that are police officers? Um,
0: I kn- my aunt is a police officer, and she's been a police officer for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, I know others. But I don't have any, not anyone particularly close other than um uh, my aunt, uh, who's been who's been on, on the Detroit Police Department for oh my goodness before I was born many years.
1: Yeah. Some people can interpret this kind of conversation defensively. Um, like, you know, it's all police officers are, aren't bad. And I and I don't hear you or me saying that all police officers are bad. We we all know that most police officers or whatever are aren't bad. But how would you how would you respond to someone who's like, Well, Tyler, all police officers aren't bad? Like what would you say to that?
0: Oh one, I would affirm that. Um of course, our all police officers aren't bad. I'm thankful for the police, and I'm, I'm in no in no way uh, defund the police person. I'm not anti-police. I'm anti-bad police.
1: Um, I'm
0: anti-police that profile. I am, and no matter what, I don't know. I don't know what that percentage is. It's a small thing. Um, but I'm I'm anti-aggressive uh, police. I'm anti-profiling police um and, that, and that's black and white police i've been profiled by black police officers Sure, uh, <laughs> i've been harassed i've been harassed because i'm a young man by black police officers so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm anti um all police that use a power in a in a, in a um abusive way
1: this has been really really helpful to tyler i really appreciate your time and um I'm so thankful for you and your ministry and what obviously God is doing in your life and in your church and your neighborhood. And so um, thanks so much for giving us your time and for um, helping to tell your story to a predominantly white church that desires to grow in theology of racial justice. And um, so you've just been so generous with us. We really, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, man. man. My pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure.